Well, good morning to you. I just want to say a word of welcome to all our family and friends who are visiting. Uh, we also know some of you are home for the holidays, and I hope that you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we stayed in town for the first time this year, and we were able to share a Thanksgiving meal with some of the church, and we had uh, such a sweet time of fellowship and of laughs and uh, just spending time together. And so we're so thankful to the Lord for this church family that we're a part of, and and we're glad that we can continue this thankfulness through our worship together uh, this morning. And so if you would, uh, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and as you're turning there, let, let us stand. Let us stand for the reading of God's Word in honor and reverence of it and acknowledge that our Lord is speaking to us through His Word this morning. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. This is what Mark writes. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear from you now from your word and Lord, we pray that you would settle our hearts or any sort of distraction and burden that we might have, that we can lay that at your feet, knowing, Lord, you care for us. Help us, Lord, uh, to worship you this morning through the receiving of your word. Change us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We've been studying through the Gospel of Mark for maybe the last two years. And if what we've seen so far in this book can be likened to a movie, it'd be fair to say that Jesus has been the main character and the disciples have been the extras. They've been more of the extras than they've been a supporting cast because up to this point, they've been present in most of the scenes, but they've hardly had any lines or speaking parts at all. These 12 have been in the background, and fittingly, Jesus has been front and center. But this is all about the change. Beginning in chapter 1, Jesus had called these 12 disciples to follow him for the very purpose of making them fishers of men. In chapter 3, it says that he brought them to himself so that they might be with him and that he might send them out. That has always been the trajectory for these disciples from day one, to be sent out. So everything leading up to this point has been a time of intensive training for them. They've accompanied Jesus. They've followed him. They've watched his life and ministry. They've seen his miracles. They've learned from his teachings. And now the day has arrived for them to be sent out. And so Mark gives us this account of the twelve going on this first missions trip of theirs 
here in chapter 6. And this was significant because this mission would be a foreshadowing of the great mission they will endeavor upon as they go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations for Christ. For the apostles, this is the beginning of their life's mission, one in which they would give their lives for. But while this event was significant for these disciples, this event has great significance for us as disciples of Jesus Christ as well. On one hand, we want to be careful of too quickly applying this text to us, right? And making that which is descriptive as something prescriptive. We, we want to be careful of reading this and say, well, I think Jesus wants me to put on my tunic and go and heal the sick and cast out demons too. It's always important to read scripture within context. And yet, on the other hand, there is application for us. And that is true of all of the Bible, because this is God's word to us. And even as Mark writes, he writes to the believers in the first century. And he writes to believers today that we too might learn from this account and apply his truths to our lives. So I want to look at this account with you, and I want to draw two applications for us that I trust will inform our lives in ministry. First, if you're taking notes, we learn here that we are called to a gospel-centered mission. Look at verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. When you think about the idea of mission, there's a certain intrigue about it. And it's a reason why stories related to mission are so popular. You think about the Mission Impossible franchise from the successful 60s and 70s show that spawned the blockbuster movies with Tom Cruise. Uh, and from those, or for those who are familiar with it, the signature part is the opening scene where the leader of the MIF, the Impossible Missions Force, and that's what it stands for, a little cheesy, but hey, it was the 60s, okay? The leader now, being Ethan Hunt, he would receive an assignment on a recording. And it always begins with, good morning, Mr. Hunt, okay? And, and he would then explain some situation and always attached with it is your mission, Ethan, should you choose to accept it. And then a brief explanation of what the mission is. And then it ends with my favorite part uh, where it says that this recording will self-destruct in five seconds. And it says, good luck, Mr. Hunt. And then smoke would come out of the recording device that it plays from. And then cues the music with the matchstick that lights, and then the credits play, and then the classic theme song, right? Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so I kind of like it, all right? But part of the appeal of the show and the movies is the idea of a mission with adventure and spies and good guys and bad guys and action. There's a certain excitement about stepping out into the unknown and being a part of a cause greater than yourself. Up to this point, it is Jesus, the Son of God, who comes from heaven on a mission. And now this same Jesus calls those he gathers to himself and sends them on a mission. And this mission, 
doesn't come attached with it, your mission disciples, if you choose to accept it. This isn't a request. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't an invitation. The authoritative Lord, he doesn't invite them on a mission. He sends them on a mission. But their mission was really an extension of our Lord's mission. What was this mission? It was the gospel. Jesus' mission and ministry was all about the gospel. Now, the gospel means good news. And it refers to the good news of Jesus as our Savior. The good news that Jesus died for sinners. It is the good news that Jesus proclaims to the world because for us, much of life is about bad news. And by bad news, I don't mean the difficulties of life. By that, I mean that we are sinners before a holy God. And we cannot be right with God apart from Jesus Christ. The bad news, in light of the good news, is the reality that we were created to worship God, to love Him, to obey His commands, and yet we don't. That without exception, we disobey God and we sin against Him. And as such, we come under His wrath. Because God is just. He must punish us for our sin. So that's the reality of the bad news. But what's this good news that Jesus proclaims? The good news is that Jesus came to not only live among us, but he came to die for us. Our Lord, he took our punishment. He bore the wrath that was ours to bear in our place. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and he offers salvation and forgiveness of sin to those who would believe. And that's the good news. And understand that Jesus was on this gospel mission from the moment he was born of his virgin birth. He was on this journey to the cross where he would carry out his mission to die for sinners because God, he loves us. And he gives us hope in him. But you notice this. Jesus didn't begin his ministry at the cross. Jesus didn't immediately come from heaven and die. His death takes place some 30 years after he was born of his virgin birth. And instead, what was he doing during this time? For one, he was fulfilling all righteousness, yes, but he preached. The entirety of his earthly ministry was that he preached the gospel. This good news that he is the savior of all sinners. In Mark chapter 1 verse 38, it says this. Our Lord says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. In Mark chapter 1 verse 14, it says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, repent and believe in the gospel. He came to preach the gospel. From a ministry standpoint, nothing was more central than preaching the gospel. That was his mission. And now the time has come where our Lord, he calls for the twelve, and it says he sends them out two by two to preach the same gospel. This good news of Christ. 
You notice this, they were sent in pairs. The sending of the of them two by two, it actually affirms the gospel mission they were on. See, the, the going in twos was practical in that it was good to have a companion, to have encouragement and a support. Ecclesiastes 4 says that two is better than one. But the going in twos alludes to the Old Testament law that when a testimony, when testimony was given in the courts, it was to be accepted on the basis of two or three witnesses. So now they were going out to proclaim this message from Christ on his behalf as his representatives, and they wanted to follow the Old Testament model of bearing witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. See, what they were doing was preaching his gospel. And that was their mission. And this is our mission as well, as disciples of Christ. I want to look at a few things here as it relates to this mission that we've been called to and that we've been given. First, I want to look at the message that we're called to preach on this mission. See, we go, and not only are we to share the good news of Christ and his death and resurrection, but we are to tell people that they have to respond to the gospel. You realize that when we preach, it just can't be news that we give them, but God calls for a certain action. So how are sinners supposed to respond? It says in verse 12 this, they went out to proclaim that people should what? Accept Jesus into their hearts. No, it doesn't say that. It says they went out to proclaim that people should repent. Not accept Jesus. And I need to say something briefly about this. Because it's a common phrase used in the church today. And it's really a product of our contemporary evangelism that I don't think is very helpful. My qualification, right, is that if a person understands sin and its penalty, understands the payment that Christ made on the cross, and is ready to trust in Jesus alone for salvation, an invitation to ask Jesus into your heart isn't necessarily wrong. And I think it's okay to say that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But oftentimes, this expression, this very expression of accept Jesus into your heart is so vague. And is actually misleading. Accepting Jesus into your heart is not biblical. It's not found in the Bible at all. It's never used in the context of any gospel presentation. And the phrase was probably taken from Revelation 3, verse 20. I, let me just read this for you. Revelation 3, verse 20. You're familiar with this. But it says that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You notice this verse, it doesn't mention the heart at all or asking Jesus to do anything. In this context, Revelation 3.20 is speaking about the church fellowshipping with Jesus, not an individual getting saved. Now, when the Bible 
gives a gospel presentation, the invitation is almost always what? To believe, to trust, and to repent. That's the response. Believe, trust, or repent. And it's why I often don't use that expression of accepting Jesus. And so I at least want to say this. Let's not be legalistic about this. I don't want you to go from here and start policing this. Oh, you said accept Jesus into your heart. You're so ungodly. Okay, I'm not picking on anyone. Okay, I've said it a lot before. But we need to always examine terminology that we use according to God's word. But it's why these disciples were instructed to preach repentance. Because that's more clear and, and it's in line as it relates to the gospel. Uh, actually, can I get some, uh, can we turn on the lights? I, I don't think, it's a slides working? Are they? Okay, oh, good. Uh, maybe I, I need to kind of see my Bible here. Uh, so, <laughs> thanks. Um, so, let me, having said that, let me ask this. What is repentance? If this is what we're to preach, what is it? Repentance literally means a change of mind. But repentance is a change of direction as much as it is a change of thinking, as it's used in the Bible. Because a change of mind assumes that an action will take place. So repentance is really to change course from where one is going. And that is a more helpful image than accepting Jesus into your heart because it speaks accurately of man's condition as it relates to the gospel. Let me see if I can illustrate this. It brought to mind this. Back in 1905, there was a boat called the Titanic. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but there might have been a small budget movie made about it. Okay, but it's pretty well documented what happened. Many know about the significance of the sinking of what was thought to be this unsinkable ship. But many forget that it was a tragedy of epic proportions where 1,500 people died. 1,500. What many don't know, and this scene was actually deleted from the movie, was that the Titanic at the time has some of the latest communication technology and the wireless telegraph being one of them. This new technology, it provided critical communication between the ships, but they also made it available for passengers as an amenity to send and to receive private messages. The problem was there was only one connection to be shared by the ship and all of its passengers. So you imagine being on a cruise ship today with only one cell phone for all passengers to send or to receive a text message and for all ship communication to take place. And then what makes it worse is that not only would you have to wait your turn, but the message would have to be typed out with only one key. That's what it was like. So it was a difficult task for the operator. On that fateful night, the Titanic received six messages about the iceberg that they were approaching. And the last message was given 40 minutes before the Titanic, Titanic's collision with the iceberg. 
The radio operator of the Californian attempted to warn the Titanic that there was ice ahead. But he was cut off by an exhausted Jack Phillips, who was manning the telegraph that evening. And Phillips, inexplicably, he fired back an angry response with these words. Shut up, shut up, I'm busy. When he finally went to bed late that night, Phillips was shut off the radio of the Titanic so that it was unable to receive any further messages. And the Titanic consequently hit the iceberg. 1,500 people would pass from this life into the next. This is the situation of all people whether they want to acknowledge it or not, or tell us to shut up, or tell God to shut up, people are heading towards destruction and hell because of their sin. And the Lord is sending us to proclaim the gospel and call for them to repent, to turn around. We are called to warn people there is danger before them, but the good news is that Jesus has come into this world to rescue you from what is certain destruction. How? By taking that destruction for you. Our Lord says, I will go on that sinking ship and I will die in your place even though you deserve to. But I choose to love you instead. And Jesus would be raised to life to show that he has overcome sin and death. If you are an unbeliever, the Lord is calling you to repent to turn around and trust in Christ for forgiveness and salvation. Because apart from Him and His grace, there is no hope. No amount of good things that you do and wishful thinking can save you because deliverance is found in no one else but Christ. But for believers, that is the message that we are called to preach. This is really the heart of God here. The Lord, he wants none to perish, but for all to come to repentance and be saved. And so he gives us this task to preach to unbelievers repentance. That's our mission. And it's the reason that we've been left here on earth. Or you think about this. Why is it that God did not save us and take us immediately to heaven upon our salvation? What is the one thing that we cannot do in heaven that we can do here on earth? Sin, yes, but the answer is evangelize. And if you miss this, you have neglected your mission. God, in his love, he sends us out with the great responsibility to go to the nations so that we might win souls to Jesus Christ. And that all might have an opportunity to be saved. My question is, do you realize that? It's so easy for us to be sidetracked with our mission on earth. And life becomes all about work, about school, about dating and finding that spouse. Becomes about family And not enough is it about making the gospel known. 
if we are to understand our mission, we have to see the gospel as central to everything we do, just as it was for Christ. So what this means is be faithful to this end. Proclaim this gospel to your friends, family members, co-workers, classmates, to your neighbors as you befriend them or try to befriend them, to strangers that you meet or to the nations. So that whether it's having coffee and sharing the good news or just being intentional and having a conversation with someone that leads to the gospel, teaching it in your Bible lessons, having Christ in your counseling, sharing with your kids over and over again, reminding them of the person and work of Christ. Evangelize to your loved ones, especially this holiday season. This is our responsibility to those in our lives, for we are given this mission to reach the world for Christ. And we have to be burdened by this, for this is a world that is perishing without Christ. And here's the thing. The mission is not converting people. That's God's job. We have to remember this. It's simply to preach the gospel. If you've shared the gospel and they don't repent and believe at that time, you've been faithful and that's all that God asks for. So be faithful just to preach this message. Second, when it comes to our mission... We want to look at the basis for it. And the basis for this mission is to first know the gospel and to be impacted by it and by Christ. This becomes the foundation for our mission. All disciples who are called to preach are first called to a personal experience with Jesus. See, God doesn't want some randomly gifted communicator just to teach gospel facts. He wants the gospel message to be conveyed by someone who has been transformed by the gospel message. You notice that Jesus would rather send these untrained and unskilled men to preach the gospel rather than have some gifted and trained orator in that day. Because our Lord, he wants someone who knows him as Savior and Lord so that they might not only be advocates, but be witnesses to testify to what they know to be the truth in their lives. This was always Jesus' plan. See, we know he sends these disciples out here March 6th. But this mission was the fulfillment of a plan that began much earlier. Turn back to Mark chapter 3. Just a few pages from Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. And Mark, he writes this. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So don't miss that. That prior to them being sent out, which is here found in Mark 6, he has these disciples be with him first. So this sending out is a result of being with Jesus, of knowing Jesus. 
He doesn't choose 12 and then sends them out. He chooses 12 to be with him, to observe him, to learn from him, to know him, to commune with him, to love him. And then he sends them out. What can we learn from this? Our mission is founded on our relationship with Christ. Do you want to tell people about Jesus? Let me ask you, do you know him? Not that you've gone to seminary or that you know theology or facts about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? Do you spend time with him? Do you learn from him? Do you grow in your understanding of him? I think for many of us, our failure in our mission is a failure in our relationship. We're indifferent about our mission because it's not driven by a deep relationship with Jesus. And it makes sense. If we're having trouble sharing the gospel, it's never because I know Jesus too well. That's why I'm not evangelizing. No, it's I don't know him well enough in the sense that I don't know his heart enough where being with him so affects me and it so changes me that being with him so compels me to share about how good that God is. Maybe sometimes you feel that I need more training to evangelize. And yes, I think being equipped with how to do it is important. I think just doing it as well and just getting that on-the-job training will help you grow in this as well. But the best training that we'll ever get is to be with the Master, like these disciples, to walk with Jesus, to learn from Him, to capture His heart for the lost, to emulate his life. Third, as you go back to chapter 6, notice the provision here of this mission. And note the dependence these disciples were called to. Jesus made clear in verse 8, it says that he charged them that they were to take nothing for their journey. And he goes on to give this instruction. He says, in effect, now don't even go home and get ready. Just go as you are. He's saying, don't think about any preparations. Don't take food. Take no money to buy food. Don't even take that emergency emergency stash that you put in your secret compartment of your wallet. Just go trusting Jesus all the way, and God will make provision for you. He deliberately sends them out in this way to teach them lessons about faith, to teach them that God was able to provide that everywhere they went, that provision would be made. You understand that hospitality was very important in that time and place. Any stranger coming into town could expect to be taken care of and hosted. And so when they went, Jesus told them to expect hospitality. And for them to even see that that as a provision from the hand of God. The Lord was essentially going to take care of all their needs as they were obedient to this mission. And it's interesting because later on in Luke 22, at the close of Jesus' ministry, 
he refers back to this incident. And he says this to his disciples in Luke 22, verse 35. He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. This isn't a call against preparation. We have to realize that this was a temporary instruction that Jesus gives. Because the Lord will later send them out again. And the instructions were different at that time. But the principle is that those who go and minister in the name of Jesus, they go in dependence upon God. Despite how intimidated that you feel by this mission and how weak you feel, how unprepared that you are, you say, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to say. God is the one who will take care of you. He will open the doors. He will pave the way. He'll give you the words to say. He'll give you the opportunities and make you adequate for every good work. See, God, he will be in this. And he will bless his disciples. And Christ is telling us to trust in him. And so it's important that we go in dependence upon the Lord. We pray for soft hearts and we trust that God will be at work when we are faithful, just as these disciples were. And I trust that this will be a great assurance for us as we go, and that this would even give us greater motivation to be obedient to this mission. So that's the first application. The second application that we're called to is not only a gospel-centered mission, but a gospel-centered mercy. The gospel message we preach is the priority. But we can't disregard how we live our lives. Because that has bearing on our mission. Look at verse 7. It says, And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then verse 13. And so they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. If you remember, authority is an important theme in Mark's gospel. And I don't have time to trace all the references to Jesus' authority. But up to this point, we have seen the Lord's power and authority over nature when he calmed the storms. We saw power over demons when he cast them out of the possessed. We saw authority over sickness when he healed many. We even saw authority over death when he raised the dead. And why Jesus does these things was this. It was to authenticate who he was and the message that he proclaimed. John chapter 5, verse 36 says this. The very works that I am doing, this is Jesus saying this, it bears witness about me that the Father has sent me. And now here is Jesus giving the same authority to the disciples over unclean spirits and disease. And so part of the Lord's instruction to these 12 was to preach the gospel, but also to heal with this authority and power that he's given to them. And the purpose for these healings, for these miracles, was the exact same thing. 
It was to authenticate the messenger and the message. Paul, he later on says this in 2 Corinthians 12. He says that the signs of a true apostle, what are the signs of a true one versus a false one who goes in the name of the Lord? It was that they were that they performed among you signs and wonders and mighty works. Now understand, this authority and this ability to perform miracles was only for the apostles, and it was given to them for that specific time. And I want to assume that no one here is an apostle, okay? But the application for believers is that our actions are important. It should authenticate our message. And that's what Jesus is saying when he calls us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. You remember his words in Matthew 5, verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There is a close relationship between what we preach and how we live. Because how we live It says something about our faith and its message. You either deny or you authenticate what you preach. And so it's important that you're not disregarding how you live and how you act and how you talk. If you're a jerk, do you think someone wants to believe in the power of the gospel in your life? And this application is so broad in terms of how we live to authenticate our message God, he calls us to be holy. He calls us to be gracious. He instructs us to be humble and righteous. But I believe that one of the most important things that we can do to authenticate the message and how we live is to be compassionate. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. How? If you have love. For one another. If you look at this account in the Gospels, realize that these miracles and specifically the healings of Jesus were really expressions of mercy. I sometimes come across these online polls that if you could be a superhero, what power would you want? And number one is always flying. Others would want superhuman strength. Some say immortality. Jesus had all of the above. But notice this. There were so many ways Jesus could have showed that he could have chosen to demonstrate his power. So many ways that he could have revealed that he was not of this world. He could have came and he could have flown. He could have done a light show. He could have became invisible. Instead, he chose Heal the sick. There's such compassion in that. And it speaks to the heart of God. It reminds us to be like our Lord. To be like these disciples in our acts of compassion. That needs to be something we do to authenticate our message. John MacArthur, in applying this passage to believers, he says this, that all faithful believers and evangelists, they manifest compassion. It's a reason why our church has a ministry like mercy. We've chosen to be involved in our community, to serve the homeless, 
to fight against human trafficking, to be involved in orphan care and to promote adoption, to encourage advocacy for the unborn. It's why we have collectively pushed for something like Operation Christmas Child or Project Angel Tree this time of year. We invest time and finances to ministries that relieve suffering in hopes of opening doors to bring gospel to those suffering. And I know one question that some ask is, why not just share the gospel? After all, that's, that's what people really need, right? It's the gospel. Why commit money to these endeavors? Why? Because we want to authenticate the message. It's the same reason why Jesus and the disciples didn't just go out and preach. They showed mercy too. See, we want people to know the gospel. And we show compassion to display the gospel in our lives. We want to give them a glimpse of the mercy that we ourselves have received from Christ. See, evangelism, which is our mission, and mercy are not mutually exclusive. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's biblical. And that's why mercy is so dear to my heart. And I've been so encouraged to see this group grow. I want to challenge this church to continue to see mercy as a valuable ministry. They even consider being part of it in some way. My question is, does your life authenticate the message of the gospel that you are offering? Do you show compassion and mercy to those in your life? Even in this church, there is mercy to be shown even here, and that's why we have a people care ministry too. Do you show mercy to those in here and also to those out there in our community, in our lives, and in our world? And I will say that you don't necessarily need to join a formal ministry to do this or practice this, because we can do this in our own lives. But the question to ask is, are you showing grace to those undeserving? Does your love for people and your kindness to them, especially unbelievers, does it reflect Christ and the love of Christ? Does a watching world see the gospel at work in you. In just 15 minutes, we will have our baptism service. And the three who are getting baptized will share about how the testimony of people in their lives was a big part of them coming to faith in Christ. See, our lives matter. Realize that God can use you like that and use you to plant seeds and help authenticate the message we preach. And so let's be mindful again of our gospel-centered mission and our mercy as the Lord has us here in this world. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for the privilege of meeting with Christ again to know him to know his heart, to know his ways. Help us, Lord, not to be defensive, hardened to this exhortation, or even reactionary. Let us instead be humble to examine ourselves and be found faithful in your sight. 
Lord, we recognize the great mission that you've given to us. And we are reminded of the mercy that we must extend with it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would keep us faithful to this task and help us to honor Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.